Hello, welcome to the FedPubs Seminars podcast series. This is podcast number nine, Incurred Cost Submissions During COVID-19. My name is Todd Heatherly, and I'm the Director of Programming for Federal Publication Seminars, a leader in federal government contract training and professional development for past 60 years. Every year, Federal Publication Seminars trains thousands of businesses, federal agencies, and individuals on the legal, regulatory, compliance, and accounting nuances found in the federal regulations through nationwide classrooms, online, and in-house sessions. These podcasts are a small sampling of the important content you, as a contracting professional, can expect from attending an FPS program. Whether in person or online, live or on demand, you cannot find another source with the breadth and depth of experience, knowledge, and content anywhere. So please visit us at fedpubseminars.com for more information. For most contractors, incurred cost submissions have, been, have to be submitted by June 30th of every year, and every year there are a lot of questions on, on those submissions. But this year, with COVID-19, this triggered even more questions. So joining me today to discuss this topic, some of the best practice during this pandemic is Anthony Kim from Capital Edge Consulting. Good morning, Anthony. How are you today? Very good. How are you? Fine, fine. Thank you very much for joining me today. And uh, just a few questions I want to ask about ICS. First of all, can you provide us an overview of ICS? Most definitely, Todd. Since uh, we're recording this session in the morning, for most of us, yes, it's 9.20. So good yes. morning, everyone. Again, thank you, Todd, for the introduction. My name is Anthony Kim. I'm a partner at Capital Edge Consulting. And yeah, just log on our website to see what we do. But we do help a lot of clients with incur cost challenges. So, so Todd, what is an incur cost submission? The, the official name that is included in FAR Part 42 is indirect cost rate proposal. So what it does is it provides an actual cost experience of you, the contractor, related to direct and indirect cost. And what it's doing is it's taking your cost experience and comparing it to your build cost to see how much over under billing has occurred based on actual costs against the build. Now, you know, there are various different contract types that contractors could be awarded, okay? One of them is cost plus type contract. When you take a look at FAR Part 16, it says the contracting officer shall include the allowable cost and payment clause in your contract, which is FAR Clause 52.216.7. And then when you take a look at FAR Part 32, where it talks about financing and all these different things, it tells you under certain scenario, contracting officers have to include the contract clause 52.232-7 related to TNM contracts. Why is TNM contracts in there? Because the M portion and applied indirect rate in most cases or certain some cases are considered flexible. And yes, that's what an incurred cost submission, ICP, ICS, you know, all these different acronyms that you are aware of is doing. What it's doing is it's capturing allowable, allocable incurred cost for the flexibly priced contract or portions of the contract, and then comparing it to your provisional budgetary build amount to see how much money 
is owed to the government or how much money is owed to you because nobody's a genie right you can't you can't tell the fortune or the future so therefore you're billing these flexibly priced contract based on a budgetary data for example your overhead rate do you know your overhead rate what your final actual allowable allocable and reasonable overhead rates going to be at the end of the year no therefore you're billing at a provisional rate right this all works perfectly if you have incurred all the cost and you have billed all the cost within that fiscal year however you know and i know that there are lags in billing and what have you so sometimes that over under billing number is not as accurate until all the costs have been incurred and billed to see truly what the impact is related to budgetary provisional billing versus actual cost experience that's what you know basically the, the incurred cost is because your contract says for your flexibly priced contract you will bill me me the government all allowable allocable reasonable cost and therefore it's truing it back to those requirements now schedules a through e are related to your indirect rate calculation i don't know how many indirect rates your organization has it's on you to establish your indirect rate structure your cost accounting practices based on your business and your need that is compliant with the requirements but that's what schedules a through e are for a provides a summary of your indirect rates b provides your calculation or the numerator for your gna c provides or c's schedule c's there could be multiple provides your numerator or calculation related to your overhead rates d provides inner uh, intermediate pool calculations and schedule e provides the basis allocation basis for all these different indirect rates based on your established cost accounting practices okay and then schedule h and k schedule h provides your contract cost how much cost you have incurred during your fiscal year or your cost accounting period i mean i don't know why anybody would do this any organization would do this but yes i've had a contractor where they had three different years when they were doing performance what does that mean they were doing certain things on a fiscal year basis for their financial reporting. They were doing their cost accounting period aligned with government's fiscal year. And then they had a different practice for certain performance aspects. So it's just weird. Okay. Yeah, it makes it a little bit more difficult, doesn't it? Very, very difficult. It provides a lot of you know opportunities for consultants to go out and untangle any mess. But anyways, yes. um, my recommendation is have all align with one fiscal year cost accounting period and your performance all those things pick one and go with it most contractors as todd mentioned earlier june 30th is your deadline because most co contractors utilize calendar year as their fiscal year and cost accounting period and they therefore the allowable cost and payment clause that i mentioned earlier 52216.7 and 52232-7 requires you to submit 
technical cost proposal six months after your fiscal year end, which is should be aligned with your cost accounting period. So therefore, most contractors have a requirement to submit roughly in about 35 days or so from today. So yes, Schedule K and Schedule H lists all your contract costs. Let's go back to Schedule H real quick. Schedule H lists all your contract costs, uh, your direct costs as how it's incurred based on your cost accounting practice that has been established. For example, what are the various different cost elements that you have, you know, you have established in your organization for your established cost accounting practice? Do you have direct labor? Yeah. Do you have materials? subcontracts are there direct costs are those the only things that are considered contract direct costs not necessarily some folks may even break out the direct labor into customer site versus contractor site what about direct labor that's accumulated by country you're doing operations in five different countries and your cost accounting practice says you got to accumulate these costs separately country a b c d e so now, if that's the case, then you just took one pot of money, direct labor, and now split it into five different pots of money. What about engineering direct labor? What about manufacturing direct labor? So think about those things when you're establishing your cost accounting practice. Why? Is because those things are most likely tied to your overhead rate structure, right? You have overhead specifically for country A, country B, country C. You have overhead specifically for engineering. You have overhead specifically for manufacturing. You have overhead specifically for customer site versus your site. So yes, those have to be listed separately because different overhead rates would be applied to those direct costs. Again, back to your established cost accounting practice. What is right or wrong when it comes to establishing your cost accounting practice? I would say you have to make sure that you meet the requirements under FAR Part 31.2. It says you need to provide an equitable distribution of indirect costs based on causal beneficial relationship. You need to defend that. If you're subject to cost accounting standards, you have to conform with cost accounting standards 402 and minimally 418 to establish your indirect rate structure. So that's Schedule H. You got on the left side, all the direct costs. And on the right side, what you're doing is you calculated all the indirect rates from Schedules A through E. Schedule A has all your summary of rates. What Schedule H is doing is literally, it's applying the indirect rates that are calculated on Schedule A back to Schedule H to see how much cost you have incurred that is allowable, allocable, and reasonable. Okay, so little nuance here. On Schedule H, you gotta list all your flexibly priced contracts separately. So you got your cost plus contract at the top, TNM contract in the middle, and then firm fixed price contracts and also commercial contracts on the bottom. Those contracts that are not listed that, that do not inc include allowable cost and payment clause, 52.267 and 52.232-7, do not have to be listed separately. You can lump all of those in in one line to be included in your schedule age. You're asking Anthony, why, Anthony, why did, you know, these things, 
do not include the, the, the allowable cost and payment clause. So why even include it on Schedule H? You have to include it because Schedule H is representing your total activity of your company. So that's why it has to be it has to be included in Schedule H because we have to be able to demonstrate full absorption of all your cost on Schedule H. All right, so we got that on the left side again, direct cost on the right side, indirect cost to come up with total contract cost incurred for each flexibly priced contract. Now Schedule K is a little, di little different. Schedule K is the TNM contract listings. Why do we have a separate schedule for TNM contract? It's because the T portion, T of the TNM, T portion is considered fixed unit pricing. You have agreed upon direct labor rates. So that's not really flexible. It's the M portion that's flexible. So that's what the Schedule K is doing. We're applying actual cost incurred for the M portion, material portion, and applying the calculated burden rate that is going to be applied, be it material handling, GNA, whatever it is, that is what is being applied to the M portion. All right, so yes, the end game here is the Schedule I. Schedule I is the cumulative allowable cost book to build schedule. What it's doing is it's pulling all the costs that you have incurred that's allowable, allocable, reasonable, that is listed on Schedule H and Schedule K. So yes, TNM contracts, cost doesn't pull from Schedule H, it, it pulls from Schedule K, again, because of the T portion. And this is done cumulatively since the inception of the contract all the way today it's rolling forward every year schedule i so it's got previous cost in there it's got previous years billing in there and then it's literally comparing how much you you have incurred versus how much you have billed and then one other comment about the kind of overview summary of incur cost is FAR Part 31 lists 46 specific areas of cost related to allowability. We have to make sure it doesn't include any unallowable costs in our cost representation. And this is a claim to the government. And yes, we have to make sure it doesn't include any unallowable costs that's listed there, nor any unallocable cost on contracts, on United States government contracts, nor any unreasonable cost that may be considered unreasonable, okay, on United States government contracts, okay. And then lastly, you're certifying on Schedule N, knowledgeable officer of, the United, uh, of your company has to certify that it's done current, complete, and accurate, and it does not include any expressly unallowable cost in the submission, and certify it prior to submission. So Todd, that is kind of an overview of an incurred cost submission. Well, thank you very much for that overview. What? So, so you, got, you got all these different schedules. You have to have it submitted by June 30th. And uh, based on 2020, we have all these issues concerning COVID-19. How is that impacting incurred cost submissions? Yes, um, I mean, 
just like any anything else, right? The the impact due to COVID nineteen is really, you know, resources, challenges related to you know getting access, um, it's planning, it's communications, it's everything. You know, for a, a um maybe for a smaller organization, this might be one month exercise, two weeks exercise, or what have you. Mm -hmm. um after you get your audited financials or maybe even before you can work on this because you can't pretty much know what your you know uh, uh trial balance is going to be maybe there's some post audit post financial audit adjustments that may be that may have to be reflected but you know some organizations incur cost proposals not a rocket science right, right? it's easier Okay. Especially if you're, let's say you're a small engineering company, right? You don't buy anything. There's not any materials. Okay. Maybe you got 10 contracts. However, everybody's doing one thing, right? Engineering. So you don't even have multiple rates. You just got one indirect rate that captures everything. GNA, overhead, fringe, everything, right? So your cost accounting structure is very simple with you know, a uh, uh, smaller amount of contracts mm -hmm. versus let's say we have an organization, multi-billion dollar organization where they got home office, intermediate home office and segmentation structure and every segment, performing segment has to prepare its incur cost and you know they got 10 different fringe rates because they're doing business all over the world and everybody else gets hugely disparate fringe uh, 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 costs incurred by countries and you got overheads you got shared service centers you got all these different things and yes you have you know uh, many many contracts that contain allowable cost and payment clause this is you know sometimes it's a whole year's worth of exercise just to get this thing done however like me and like todd we're all most of us are working from home yes i've been stuck in my yes. you know a uh, uh, home office here messier and messier it was very nice nice and clean two months ago my wife, every time she walks by the French door I have right here, you know, glass, she looks at the office and just shakes her head going, wow, I'm just going to leave you alone because it's getting messier and messier. But I know you're working hard, so I'm not going to mess with you. But no, <laughs> everybody's working from home and it's really challenging to pull all the resources, resources together to get the submission prepared. So what I urge you is if you feel like you cannot meet the deadline six months after fiscal year and if your fiscal year is calendar year based, yes, your submissions due on June 30th, please request an extension. The extension has to be a formal extension with a valid excuse. I would say COVID-19 would be considered a valid excuse. However, you need to provide the contracting officer some valid reasoning, such as, yes, our office is closed and people are working remotely and we're having challenges, gathering resources, blah, blah, blah. And therefore, please excuse an extension. My only fear is that, yes, you most likely, You'll get an extension from your contracting officer, but it's just pro procrastinating, right? You kick the bucket down 
down the road, it has to get done sooner than later. Right. So think about getting the right amount of extension. Is it one month? Is it two months? Is it three months or is it six months? In addition, we had a client where, you know, they had some challenges prior year. Every year they requested an extension every year. You know, well, one year they got dinged for it. How did they get dinged? DCA cited them with a SOCAR. SOCAR is Statement of Conditions and Recommendations saying, hey, one of the requirements related to accounting system is for you to submit and incur costs timely, accurately, and reliably. You can't do that. And therefore, you have a significant deficiency in your system. Let's say you have those type of challenges related to your system. I would say not requesting an extension and doing it on time and submitting on time may provide some you know, warm and fuzz, more warm and fuzzy feeling to your contracting officer and your client, your customers, and your DCA auditor or your other external auditor that, hey, maybe these folks you know, are riding the ship and doing stuff right. So you got to look at some other risks related to just filing for an extension. In addition, if you look at the CARES Act, Section 3610, this is not going to impact 2019 incurred costs that you need to submit by June 30th um, or, you know, costs that have been incurred prior to COVID-19. Section 3610, in addition... DOD has issued a class deviation related to a new cost principle for COVID-19 related leave cost. You may be entitled for extended leave for your employees due to COVID-19. What I urge you to do is establish a practice, accumulate those costs separately so that you know where they are and talk to your customer, contracting officer, as to your intent your policy, and, you know, just have transparency in what you're doing so that next year when you do your incurred costs, be, the, be at this maybe a fringe-related cost, direct-related cost, whatever your cost accounting practice is determined to be, it'll be a much easier process next year when you have to put your incurred cost proposal. So those are my, you know, some recommendations related to COVID-19 and incurred cost, Todd. Thank you very much. So do you see the government giving any any relief to contractors coming up or is it pretty much going to be business as usual? I think most contracting officers are not hesitating on issuing, you know, uh, extensions. Mm -hmm. And I don't think if you request an extension due to COVID-19, it's not going to be considered an impact to your business system. That's that's a good news. However, take a look at your risk profile. Take a look at, can I really submit this by June 30th? If so, why even bother filing for an extension, right? Right. Makes okay. sense. Get it over with. All right. Get it so, over so with. Are, yes. It, yeah. What, what are some of the recent trends um, and audits related to ICS? Anything coming out of all this? So not really. Um, yes and no. I mean, I think, you know, uh, we have another webinar related to COVID-19 and audit related issues um, that you can check out. But, you know, DCAA, they're, they're auditing. They're auditing remotely. Um, I, I was just on a call, um, I think, last week where, you know, um, 
DCA had they have to validate, you know, they can't just accept PDF documents. So they have to right. validate the source document and, you know, uh, origination of documentation. So we were doing go to meetings or, you know, or whatever platform that you're using to do virtual share screen validations with TCA to go into actual systems to see, you know, click here, go here, kind of system demonstration to see and then actually doing the producing the report and PDFing it and then sending it to DCAA. So did it work flawlessly? No. Uh, was it time consuming? Yes. Yes. Did DCA have to do this? I guess they did. It's just going to take time. Wow. Absolutely. It's just taking time, more and more time to do these audits and have DCA validate your documents. But yes, check out that webinar. But you know, just a couple of new things that came up. This isn't quite new, but 2017 NDAA required a DCA to do certain things. In 2018, when was it? Had it written down? 2018. Yes, January 29, 2018, DCAA issued an MRD. MRD is Memorandum for Regional Directors. This is, again, kind of internal implementation of DCAA related to 2018. I said 2018. 2018 National Defense Authorization Act, where DCA is now required to conduct an adequacy review within 60 days. Yeah. In the past, Sometimes you get it in six months, sometimes you get it in a year, sometimes you never got an adequacy determination, or most of the times you got an inadequate dis determination. There's a new checklist out there. DCA has changed their process, working with the co contractors to, you know, really resolve some of the inadequacies before they made any cost adequate. But now you will get a response. You submit a, a, an incur cost to DCAA, you will get a response within 60 days. In addition, DCA is now required after adequacy to audit the incurred costs within one year. What was at the average time in 2017 incurred cost audits by DCAA? Average I date, this is- I can't remember, but it was a long time, wasn't it? Two years? I, I actually thought it was more than three, two years. The DCA report to Congress stated that it was 808 days, 808 days to it's like two and a half years. Yes. So now they are required to do audits within one year. How are they going to do that? DCA actually hired independent CPA firms to assist with audits. Just like if you're a DOE contractor, you're used to getting DOE audits by an audit firm. DCA has hired auditors to do this. Yes. That's kind of not very fresh, but I just wanted to provide, you know, the audience a, a little update here. But what is a recent trend is not because of the COVID-19, but recent trend is holy cow, I've I've been seeing so many contractors, business systems get impacted by the incur cost. Most recently, I've seen SOCAR's statement of conditions and recommendations, which may include significant deficiencies that the contracting officer has to act on. The contracting officer is going to take the SOCAR and either make an initial determination or not 
of your system uh, adequacy or system significant deficiency due to Schedule I. Schedule I is, like I said, it, that is the end game. However, if you take a look at Schedule I, how reliable is your Schedule I? It should be reliable for those contracts that are physically completed and you're done with your billings. But Todd, you, you handle most of uh, your instructors' expense approvals and stuff, right? Correct. How long do some folks um, take to submit their expense vouchers to you or invoices to you? Do they all submit it within 30 days or two months? Of course or? not. Of course not. <laughs> Have you seen it, certain ones where they come in six months, one year later and stuff? <laughs> of course, except not yours, Anthony. We know that uh, you, you do a good job of getting yours in, but yes. You got costs trickling in maybe six months, one year from now, and what have you. You know, subcontractors, vendors, right? So if you're, even though your period of performance may have ended, you got costs that were incurred within period of performance that's allowable that could come in much later. Absolutely. So you have you have this significant subcontractor that may have billed you a little later, so it's not included in your current fiscal year. How reliable is your over-under billing? Again, Schedule I is there to take a look and see how much you have billed, more than you know, you're incurred or less than you're incurred. But we've seen many good and many bad. However, with that said, I've seen sole cars issued due to Schedule I inadequacies. It may have passed initial DCAA's adequacy check, but during an audit, if it doesn't tick and tie or there's too much information, too little information, I've seen this happen. So be sure. very careful. Excellent advice. Anthony, let's wrap this up real quick. Give us a quick rundown of a couple of little things you can uh, give us as an audience and listeners the takeaways. So yes, the takeaway is I think you know everybody's working so hard at home. I'll be honest with you, I've kind of busy person prior to COVID nineteen, but this COVID nineteen really made me start my morning, and then I don't even know when the lunch time. You know, it just literally right around the corner is lunch. I grab my lunch real quick with my family. Because again, everybody's at home together. And then I come back into my office and shoot, then it's six o'clock and time for dinner. Everybody's really busy, really busy because we're not as efficient. It's taking longer. We need to have conference calls. We need to do this. And some folks may not be available for conference. Left and right and up and down. So mm -hmm. my advice is if you could meet your deadline to submit your incur costs, please do so. Don't just punt it or kick it down the, the road just because you can. Mm -hmm. If you could get it done, get it done. If you don't think you can meet the deadline, please file an extension in writing and obtain the approval and put that in your file so that DCA, does, they don't come knocking on your door when they do your system audit to say, hey, you submitted your incur cost late. Why? Well, we had an extension evidence show me if you cannot produce the evidence guess what dca is going to say it never happened right. right so yes work hard to get it done if you truly cannot get it done 
get an extension and document your approval, please. And thank you, Anthony, for joining me today. And we appreciate all your insights and walking us through the ICS process. Just for everybody out there, listeners, if you have topics you'd like me to cover in a podcast, please send me a note at todd at fedpubseminars.com. Anthony, uh, how does a uh, listener get a hold of you if they'd like to speak to you in person? Yes. Um, if you have any questions related to incur costs and the audits and what have you, please contact us at www.capitaledgeconsulting.com or you can reach me directly at akim, A-K-I-M, at capitaledgeconsulting.com. Fantastic. Uh, just, just a reminder, these, the, we do offer a incurred cost submission, a practical guide to incurred cost submissions as a course. Right now we're offering it virtually and we hope to offer it in classroom come in September in Las Vegas. Uh, along with a bunch of other courses that both Anthony Kim and his his crew teach, uh, including uh, government contracting, purchasing and subcontracting. What are some of the other courses we have for you that's uh, in there as well? Cost accounting principles, I forget the name of them all. But Right, we do estimating system, defective pricing, many courses related to CPSR, incurred cost proposal, preparing adequate proposal submission to the United States government. We handle many different classes for you, Todd. Yes, yes you do. And uh, some of them are virtual right now. So look at our website, you can get uh, more information there as well as we hope to see you in a classroom shortly. So until next time, everyone, please stay safe, keep your distance and always read the bar.